relatively comfortable. Um, I'm going to introduce my friend Akhtar. Akhtar Hi, is guys. the pastor at Everyday Church in Kingston, who are great friends of ours. <laughs> uh, some of you all know Akhtar, some of you all know Everyday. They're a fantastic bunch of guys, and Akhtar has been a particularly good friend to me uh, over these last couple of years, and I just would commend him to you. I'm looking forward Thank to you. all that he has to say. So, you welcomed him. Welcome him. Thanks, Philip. Bless you guys. Thank you very much. Um, it's a real, it really is a joy to be here. That's not just um, like manners. I'm not that well-mannered. So <laughs> I, I've just enjoyed worshipping with you. Um, I love Philip very much, and I know a number of you guys. So genuinely, thanks for having me today. It's been fantastic already. Can only go downhill from here. <laughs> no, I, I'm gonna, Philip's asked me to talk about family today, um, and that's what I'm going to do. Um, I've, uh, I've, got a, a str- I've come from a strange family. I wasn't brought up as a Christian. We're from, my grandparents are from four different countries or... I could give you all the reasons in the world, but we were, we were kind of an unusual family to grow up in. And I grew up not knowing some of the, the ways that people live. I'm very, I feel, consider myself very English, despite my looks, but a load of stuff that other people seem to know, I didn't know. Do you, you, know, you know the feeling when you don't know the rules, you don't know the words, you don't know the tune, you don't know how, you know, you get it at church when you don't know a new song. But in a bigger sense, like I, I, um, the first wedding I ever went to was my own wedding. So imagine my surprise when they asked me to get, get up and make a speech. And I said... I hope you were having a good time and sat down again. And I, I've been, I've, I've seriously, my poor wife, I've been mortified at every single wedding up after that. You know, you get these guys standing up, my, so, my beautiful wife. I was like, I hope you're having a nice time. I sat down. I'd never been to a wedding before. I, believe it or not, this might be common sense rather than manners. I didn't know that you're supposed to bring a gift when you go for dinner at someone's house. Like, I was like Julia Roberts in Pretty Women, not knowing which knife. We turned up, and this is actually coming to church, coming to faith. I started being invited out to dinner. And I was always the one, or we were always the people, my wife's from another country as well, who forgot to bring a glass, of, a bottle of wine or chocolate. We do it now, so if you want to invite us, you'll, you'll get a <laughs> gift. But, but in those early days, it was like you, you kind of, you're misstepping. You don't quite know how this works, and you don't, you don't fit in. Um, my poor duck's up there. <laughs> you, you know this, the kind of feeling I mean. And church is like that. So about 15 years ago, I started coming to church, uh, met God. My wife became a Christian as well. And again, in, in those, uh, to be honest, 15 years ago, I, I was, uh, my mum was a Christian before that, and every now and then used to send me up to church, and I had that same feeling of being the odd one out, of not quite fitting in. My um, experience, we've just had a 24-hour prayer thing with all the churches together, it's wonderful, and I shared last night, my experience of Christianity growing up was that I was at a primary school where we prayed the Lord's Prayer every day, pretty much. That was what, that's all I knew of Christianity. And even that I got wrong. I, I literally prayed for about five years, Lord, deliver us from England. I, 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 I'm, I'm being serious. I didn't know the words. And so when I came to church, it was a new experience for me. And what I want to talk to you about today, I'm going to talk about family. But it, the talk's called We Are Family. And it's not just a talk to say, you know, we, we should love one another. We should be united as different churches or as one church. It's actually to say that we are family. We are God's definition of family. We're the paradigm for family in society. So everyone's got a different opinion. Families, one dad, one mum, or two, you know, it, it's all these different things. Is it three parents now? Is it, do parents really matter? Family's this, family's that. I want to say the church is and should be God's example of family to the rest of the world. It is the definition. If you, if you look at the kingdom of God, if you look at God himself, if you look at the gospel, it is all about family. And what I want to do really is help, um, I guess, help you. If you're part of Kings and you're a Christian, I want to get under the hood of family and help you to understand 
what that means for you, what it means for you here in Kingston, what it means for you as an individual. If you know the rules and you know the tune and you know the words, everything's different, isn't it? I want to help you to understand what you're a part of. Kings is a fantastic church, so I'm not going to teach you anything so much as we're going to get under the hood together. We're going to respond to God and ask him to make us better at what we are. If you're a visitor or you're not a Christian, I want to really just show you what true Christianity is. You may be like me and you may have had a very uh, odd, unusual, uh, normal view of Christianity in the UK. I, I grew up knowing about Jesus, knowing about Christianity, and man, is it different from what I was taught. It, it is so, it is, my, my only thing about Christianity when I realized it was true was that it is too good to be true. And I've had a good life. I've been, I enjoyed my life before I met Jesus. My last reservation, when I looked at what the gospel really meant, what Christianity really means, not just for the future, but for today, I was like, this is too good to be true. And yet it's true. I want to show you a bit of that today as well. So what I'm going to do, I, I want to read through a few Passages in John 14. So this is written by uh, one of the disciples who loved Jesus. Uh, you read about him. He's the one who's always closest to Jesus, sitting closest to him. Uh, he's called John. And um, this is just, when you read, if you, if you fall asleep during my sermon, go home and read John 14, 15, 16. You'll love it. You'll, you'll absolutely, it will open your eyes to something of God's heart for family um, and of Jesus' promises to people who will follow him, promises to the church. Uh, so we're going to read them. I'm going to actually read them from the screen, so I keep in step with you, if that's okay. And they should come up. So this is Jesus saying, Do not let your hearts be troubled. You believe in God, believe also in me. My Father's house has many rooms. If that were not so, would I have told you that I'm going there to prepare a place for you? And if I go and prepare a place for you, I will come back and I'll take you to be with me, so that you also may be, where, <laughs> so that you also may be where I am. You know the way to the place that I'm going. Thomas said to him, this is Thomas who at the end, he's been known as Doubting Thomas. He just asked a question once in the Bible. He's one of the 12 disciples again. Thomas said to him, Lord, we don't know where you're going. How can we know the way? Jesus answered, I am the way and the truth and the life. No one comes to the Father except through me. If you really know me, you'll know my Father as well. From now on, you do know him and you have seen him. Philip said, Lord, show us the Father and that will be enough for us. And Jesus answered him, don't you know me, Philip? Even after I've been among you for such a long time, anyone who has seen me has seen the Father. How can you say, show us the Father? Don't you believe that I am in the Father and that the Father is in me? The words I say to you, I do not speak on my own authority. Rather, it is the Father living in me who is doing his work. Believe in me when I say that I am in the Father and the Father is in me, or at least believe on the evidence of the works themselves. These are miracles that Jesus did. Believe that the Father's in me because you've seen what I'm doing. Very truly, I tell you, whoever believes in me will do the same works that I've been doing, and they'll do even greater things than these, because I'm going to the Father, and I will do whatever you ask in my name, so that the Father may be glorified in the Son. You may, be, you may ask me for anything in my name, anything in my name, and I'll do it. If you love me, keep my commands, and I will ask the Father, and he will give you another advocate to help you and be with you forever, the Spirit of truth. The world cannot accept him, because it neither sees him nor knows him, but you know him, for he lives with you and will be in you. I will not leave you as orphans. I will come to you. And then the last one. Before long, the world will not see me anymore. Talking about his death. But you will see me. Because I live, you also will live. On that day, you will realize that I am in my Father, and you are in me, and I am in you. Whoever has my commands and keeps them is the one who loves me. The one who loves me will be loved by my Father, 
and I too will love them and show myself to them. <laughs> Wonderful passage. John 14, verses 1 to 21. Now, a lot of the church's focus, uh, and the lo- a lot of the church's kind of reason for being, I'll try and say in, f- in French, but I'd make a fool of myself. A lot of the reason for the church is, is basically PR. Now, when, when I say PR, you immediately think of negative spin, untruths, lies. The, the true definition of PR, public relations, is the communication of information from one organization to the rest of the public. And, and the church has been given to the world. If you read in John 17, Jesus prayed and he said, As I've been sent by you, Father, now I send them. The church has been sent to the world to communicate a message, the message of the kingdom, the message of the gospel, the message of Jesus Christ, to the world around it. That's, that's why we're here. But to, to understand who we are and how we're a family is to communicate that very, very effectively. So what I want to do today, it's very tacky, but it will help you remember it. I want to give you the PR of family. And it will help you. If you, if you want to communicate what Jesus is about, what the gospel is about, you've got to understand who we are, who God has made us. And so I'm going to talk about family as presence, as priority, and as promotion. Those three things. They're all in this passage. I'm not going to work through it systematically. We'd be here all day. I'm just going to pick a, a couple of points out, but I'm going to look at those three things. Family is presence, it's priority, and it is promotion. So it's presence. It's presence. If I go and prepare a place for you, I'll come back and take you to be with me so that you also may be where I am. Family genuinely is about being together, isn't it? You've got, you've got, um, you've got, <laughs> you've got a TV program that will teach us about that. The Royal Family was around for about six years, wasn't it? Someone had the bright idea, let's film a family in their living room. And it worked because it's about a family being together. We, we as a family have been, we've gone our separate ways and we've come back, actually since four out of five of us became Christians at different times and different places and in different ways, we're closer than ever and, and we cherish those times together. Family is about being together. You, you get the pain of separation when you're away from your family for any length of time. You get the pain of separation. We've, we've just, uh, my wife's cousin died about four weeks ago, 40 years old in a car crash. And the pain of his wife and his kids being left behind without their dad is I mean, it's un- un- unthinkable. But there's another pain. His parents, he and his parents hadn't spoken for years. And it's, it's, a, it's horrific. It's not how family is meant to be. Family is all about presence. It's all about being together. And, and on a human level, church is the same. Church is about being together. You've got a really practical sense. Paul, uh, one of the later apostles, is a, a bit like um, Isaac, uh, John Isaac. He's a... John Newton, thank you. I say Isaac Newton. <laughs> Sorry. But yeah, the guy who wrote Amazing Grace, slave trader, became a Christian. Paul, who wrote a lot of the New Testament, was a guy who hated Christianity. He's a very well-taught Pharisee, hated this blasphemy of Christianity and, and hounded Christians into jail and to death and then became a Christian himself and one of the kind of chief evangelists of the early day, one of the chief leaders. And I've forgotten what I was going to say about him. Oh yeah, now I remember. <laughs> Going off on a tangent anyway. This is going to sound really stupid. He may or may not have written a letter called Hebrews in the New Testament. But, it, but the writer of the Hebrews knew what human beings are like. And there's this line in there in Hebrews 10.25. Very simple. Do not give up meeting together as some are in the habit of doing. Now, it's so simple. A family, church family is meant to be together. You're meant to gather on a Sunday. I know church leaders at the moment who are saying, do we really need to meet on a Sunday? Isn't it all about small groups? Being in, no, you need to gather together because family is about presence. 
It really is. You know, a phenomena for modern churches in, in London, our church included, your church is probably the same, most church people I speak to in Kingston, church leaders, is that there's a load of Christians who don't come every week. Now, you know, don't beat yourself up if something keeps you from church legitimately. But I'll speak to people who say, we gather about 100 people on a Sunday, but I think I'm pastoring about 300 people because some people come every two weeks or three weeks. Guys, church family is about being together. Do not give up meeting together as some are in the habit of doing. Commit to being together. It's, it's important. It's powerful. You grow. You knock the edges off one another. You encourage one another. You, you have to do it. But you don't have to do it out of duty. You have to do it because you have to understand that Jesus came because God wants us to be with him. This, this, these lines are amazing. Jesus said, I'm going away in, this, in these passages in John 14. I'm going away, but I'm going to prepare a place for you. And you're going to be with me forever there. This is reality. When we're worshipping just now, I love your name, King's Church. It's not, it's not PR in the bad sense. It's truth. Jesus Christ, the King, is here with you today. And he's called you because he wants you to be with him forever. That's the other side of these passages. I'm going to go back to my father, but I'm going to talk to him and we're going to send the Holy Spirit. The Spirit of Jesus, he's called. The Spirit of God. And he's going to be with you forever on earth. It's, it's amazing. The whole gospel, the whole kingdom, is about a welcome from God saying, I want to be with you. You will be with me. I'm going to go and make a place for you. And I will be with you. From the moment you give your life to me, I will be with you. I want to ask you today, what does that mean to you? What does it mean to you? It's about Jesus making himself present. John, at uh, the beginning of this gospel, when he writes in John 1, he says, In the beginning was the Word, and the Word was with God, and the Word was God. That's Jesus. Jesus present with God. God is a family in his own right. He's one God, three persons, Father, Son, and Spirit. He loves to be himself, and he doesn't need anyone else. But then later in John chapter 1, you read, The Word became flesh, he became a human, and came and dwelt among us. He left that family because he wanted to be with us, presence. It's absolutely amazing. He went back to heaven. He said to his disciples, who, and I'm sure he reminded them a number of times, he said, I'm going to go away. And they're like, don't go away. You've changed our lives. You're amazing. We want to be with you. He says, no, it's better that I go away because I'll ask my father. He'll send the Holy Spirit. There's a promise in the Holy Spirit, in God with you now, that your relationship with Jesus Christ can be closer than the relationship that any of the disciples had with him on earth when he was in human, in his human form, in his bodily form. What do you make of that and what do you do with that when you're a Christian? What does that mean to you if you're not a Christian? I'm, I'm telling you, the people who walked and ate with Jesus were told by him, it's better for you that I go because when I go, we're going to send the Holy Spirit and I will never leave you, I will never forsake you. I will be with you at every moment in your life. I'll speak to you. I'll lead you. We'll do stuff together. It's going to be better in those days than it is in these days. What do you do with that? This is the whole thing. That the whole of humanity is heading towards a future presence with God as well. In Revelation 21, it says this. I heard a loud voice from the throne saying, Look, God's dwelling place is now among the people and he will dwell with them. They'll be his people and God himself will be with them and they're God. Our problem as Christians is we look to the past presence of God. He came. Hallelujah. We look to the future presence of God. There's not even going to be a sun because the light of God will light everything up in heaven. And we'll see him. We'll know him. But the most amazing thing for us in this moment is that God is here in the room now. Even when I say he's here in the room now, there's different levels of awareness of that in this room. But he's here. 
He's attentive to you. He's listening. If you don't know him, even in these moments, you can say, this guy is either a lunatic or he's lying to us. But if, if he's not, and if you're really here, God, would you speak to me today? He will speak to you. He will speak to you. He is here in this room. Not the king of England or the king of... We haven't even got one, have we? But, it, but the king Jesus is here in this room. And if you don't listen to me, but listen to him, man, you, you're gonna, your life is going to get changed. We're here with him. I shared uh, yesterday, again, at this 24-hour thing, I'll just share it with you quickly again. I mentioned the Lord's Prayer was all I knew of Christianity when I was a kid. In Luke 11. It's in Luke 11, the disciples say, teach us to pray, and he teaches them the Lord's Prayer. I learned it by rote. Our Father who art in heaven, deliver us from England. <laughs> I knew the sounds of the words better than the meaning. Years later, I'm a Christian, and I'm reading Luke 10. It's even before the disciples say, how do we pray? And in Luke 10, Jesus gathers 72 people who are starting to follow him. They're not very well trained. They don't really know the fullness of what he's going to do on the cross. And he says, you've seen me doing miracles, healing the sick, driving out demons, preaching, and people are following me. It's quite exciting, isn't it? They're like, yes, Jesus. Right, now you go and do it. You 72. Go out in pairs. Exactly what you've seen me do. Go and do it in all these towns and come back. And it says they came back rejoicing and saying to Jesus, Jesus, even the demons submitted to us in your name. They did, those 72 people, we don't even know most of their names, did the same things that Jesus is so famous for doing in a single day, just because he told them to. They went out, they came back and said, Jesus, we did it. It was amazing. And I'm reading that, having learned the Lord's Prayer, thinking, that is amazing. Is that what Christianity is meant to look like today? That would be incredible. And then Jesus is saying to them, he, it says he was full of joy when they came back. They returned with joy, he was full of joy. But he said to them, don't rejoice about those things. He said, Satan's already defeated. I saw him fall like lightning from heaven. Of course you've got power over him. Rejoice that your names are written in the book of heaven. Link to this, I'm going to go and make a place for you. You're going to live with me forever. We're, we're going to be family. That's better than those miracles you saw. And then you turn the page to Luke 11 and this horrible truth that I was given this prayer and never taught what it actually meant. The disciples say, Lord, you've got all this power. You've given it to us. How does this work? How do you pray? Because you're always praying. And he says, when you pray, pray like this, our Father. And then I, I stopped there. And a load of people for 2,000 years have stopped there. And the Jewish people stopped there when they heard him say that. You mean God's my dad? He taught them to call our Abba. It means daddy. Now I call him father because he is my dad, but he's also still the God of the universe. And I think a little bit of healthy respect is okay. But I love hearing people call him dad and daddy. Because he wants to be your father. I worked with young people, young offenders, for, for a few years. And I tell you what, a lot of them don't have dads. And I, my, dad, my brother's a single parent. I've got friends who are single parents. I'm not, it's, you know, it's, an, it's a very an incredibly difficult job to do alone. It's hard to do it in, in pairs, but alone is really hard. Man, those, a lot of those kids needed a dad. They really did. And if I was to give them a letter pretending to be their dad and saying, here, read these letters. They'll make you feel better about yourself. Dear son, I love you. You've got great promise. You're good at this, you're good at that. And gave them those letters and said, read them. Even if I lied and said it really is from your dad, man, it would do nothing to them at all. What they need is a father or a father figure. There's an amazing charity in Kingston called Man and Boy where they help other men to fulfill this role. They need a father to be with them, to love them, to speak to them, to encourage them, to be with them, presence. Now when Jesus says, when you pray, pray our father, he doesn't want you to have an intellectual response to that and say, God is my father, 
tick the box, let's move on. He wants you to know that God is your dad and that he loves you and that he's with you. Here in this moment again, none of you are here by accident. None of you are here out of God's eye shot. He's looking at each of you, delighting over you, loving you the same way that he loves Jesus. That's real Christianity. I, I've been a Christian, as I say, for about 15 years. I've been a pastor probably for about four. I've been working for the church for about two. Um, I've been around for a little while. But the last few months, I've really been honing in on what does it mean if God is with me, my life should look radically different from any of my friends' lives. Seriously. And, and so I, every day now I'm saying, God, would you give me an adventure? Would you give me? I came in really early to Kingston this morning to do sermon prep. And because like, uh, uh, I bumped into two homeless guys that I know, a guy and a girl, ended up having breakfast with them. Met another guy whose business deal has just fallen out. He said, I was, he says, this is, I was going to do his accent. <laughs> he says, this is so weird. He said, I was thinking about you and uh, wanted to catch up with you. It's so weird we bumped in. I was like, no, that's God's. And so we had a chat and a pray together. And I didn't get my sermon prep time. It probably shows. <laughs> but, but that's God saying, this is the sermon prep I want you to do. I've had some incredible adventures. I prayed for the rich folk on the river of Kingston three, four weeks ago. and said, God, how do we reach these ultra-rich people? You said it's harder for them to enter the kingdom of heaven than anyone. You love them. How do we reach them? We don't do anything that overlaps with their world. And God said to me, I'm a social worker, so I'm, I'm bringing social work into the church as part of my role. And he said to me, as you turn your attention to the poor, it's almost like he says son every time as well. Son, as you turn your attention to the poor, you're going to catch the attention of the wealthy. They'll give you money, they'll give their time, and they'll get saved. Wow, that's what prayer should look like. Even better, that evening, a lady came into my office at a prayer meeting, and she said, I feel really stupid, but God wants me to give you this. Gold box, gold ribbon, 500 gold pound coins inside it, and a prophetic word about reaching the poor and how God's... I mean, I've been seeing more and more and more because God is with me. What does that mean for my life? What a travesty to miss him. If he's there by your shoulder, I want to ask you, even now, zone me out if you want. What is God saying to you this morning? What does it mean for him to be in your life? What does your dad want for you on Father's Day? Man, as I prayed this morning, I got such a sense of God's hunger for sons and daughters to be born today and know that God is their father. That came straight from God's heart to me, not via a priest, not through the pages of the Bible, as much as that is precious and powerful. God is with you if you're a Christian. Have I labored my point enough? <laughs> it's about presence. I mean, the thing is, when you start to look at who you are, Philip said that he's just as bad as a slave trader. And some of you would have heard that and thought, nah, he's not as bad as a slave trader. We've got this relativity thing going on, which makes this person's worse than me. I'm better than him. I'm not doing too badly. The Bible just nails that. And if you read the Bible, if you spend any amount of time in it, you'll come to the same conclusion as Philip we're all as bad as the worst human being on the earth. I'm not, I'm not even going to get into that. Um, but what I will say is that whether you believe God is real or not, or however you understand grace and all those things, God makes things very simple. We, we have all sinned and fallen short of the glory of God. If you, if you believe God has laws, you know you've broken them. If you don't believe God exists or anything, I, I know hand on heart, you have broken your own rules anyway. We've all of us said, thought, and done stuff. It's so simple. There's not uh, this cloud of, what's right, what's wrong. We've all said things, thought things, and done things that we knew were wrong. So we've all broken stuff. We, we say if you break the speed limit, you've broken the law. And if you break the spiritual law, you've broken the law. It's in James. And when you start to understand that, and you start to realize how holy God is, how perfect he is, 
how massive he is when we're so tiny, you start to wonder, how could you ever connect with this God? And how is it possible? Well, it's possible because of priority. And I'll explain what I mean. Uh, in simple terms, God has made us his priority. And the natural response when you understand it, I'll show you, is to make him our priority. If you've got, gotten married or if you've got kids, um, forgive me if you haven't, but trust me, this is true. Your priorities change instantly in, in ways you cannot imagine. I, I said to you, I've been really enjoyed my life. I, I lived a very independent life, had a lot, a lot of fun, um, some good, some bad. And then I got married and I loved my wife, but man, we were, we were in for a shock. We were quite young. We were like 21, 23. Everyone who knew us was like, you're doing what? Because we weren't the married types. We got married and bang, everything changed. You know, like everything changed. You, you, you're, mar- you're living with someone now who has a completely different philosophy about whether things should be put back in the fridge or caps should be put, whether the stairs are to get you upstairs or whether they're a storage unit. <laughs> my, my wife could give you a million things wrong with me. Yeah, Philip will tell Marty later on, but she, she could. We, we, we laugh about this stuff because we're so different in so many ways. And, and it's those little things sometimes that are hard. But your priorities change because suddenly I'm not just thinking about me and what do I want to do today? I'm thinking about her. And then you have kids, and it's like you're living on a different planet. It's like suddenly this door that you use to go in and out and come in, it's like these magical bars come across it, and you are not going to go out together for a whole year. It is, it's crazy. Your whole priority changes. I think about my kids when I'm not with them. I remember taking my son to primary school for the first time, thinking, hey, this is not fair. These guys are going to spend more time with him than I get to. It is crazy. Your priorities change so much. And priority is simply about what you value, and what you, I put Indiana Jones's hat, and Indy values it. If you watch the Indiana Jones movies, I'm not recommending them. If you've watched them, he values his hat more than his arm. You know the famous scene where he reaches back in to whip his hat out before the door slams down and cuts it off forever. It, priority is about what you value, what you invest your time in, and what you, what you spend. And the amazing truth of the gospel is Jesus prioritized us. He valued us. You see it in those verses. I'm going to go and make a place for you you start to understand that Jesus really did come just for us, just for you. He really didn't need to. In fact, more than that, in Romans 5, it talks about at just the right time, while we were still sinners, Christ came and died for us. He died for you 2,000 years before you were born. You may not even understand how that works. In fact, I'm gonna, if, even if you do understand how it works, I'm going to share a couple of verses with you really quickly. Uh, I want to give us some time to respond, so I'm going to speed up a little bit. Two verses that help me understand this. Christian, 15 years ago, didn't get this for seven years or so. Proverbs 17.15 says there are two things that God detests. He hates acquitting guilty people and condemning innocent people. And the world says, hurrah, we feel the same way. It's God's justice. It says, I hate those two things, acquitting guilty people and condemning innocent people. But if you're a Christian, you you may have a problem with that verse because your, your understanding of the gospel may be that God acquitted guilty you by condemning innocent Jesus. That's what I understood for seven years. And, and, and I, I kept feeling like every time I was doing wrong, God was angry with me, disappointed in me. My father, God, you, you're no son of mine. You, you, if you were a Christian, you wouldn't be doing those things. I lived in that cycle. You can read about it in Romans 7. There's a cycle of trying to please your God. Oh, you can't. You keep mucking up. You keep mucking up. And it's rooted in a misunderstanding of how God responded to that verse. Because he didn't change his mind It says he pleased the Father to crush Jesus in Isaiah. He loved the world so much he sent his son gladly. 
Why did God do that? A God's sense of justice means that any of us who break his laws should be gone from him, not known to, nothing to him at all. How does he get around his own truth? He did it by there's an answering verse, I promise you two verses. 2 Corinthians 5.21 He made him who knew no sin to become sin for us so that in him we might become the righteousness of God. Jesus didn't, didn't, become, didn't die as an innocent man on a cross. He became sin for us. It's inconceivable that God should become a man. It's inconceivable that he should become sin on a cross. But he literally took that onto himself. He identified with it. He was forsaken by his father. That separation, that presence was gone. And it pleased the father to crush him in that moment. Because in that moment, anyone who believes in Jesus is made innocent. He doesn't acquit a guilty you. He makes you innocent completely, top to toe, inside and out, no matter what you do. He died 2,000 years ago. He died for your sins today and tomorrow. And if you read the New Testament, you'll find that actually understanding that, that you cannot put a foot wrong, that if you sinned this morning, God still loves you and smiles at you the same way, understanding that sets you free from sin. It's the kindness of God that, that leads you to repentance. It's the, it's the grace of God in Titus that teaches you to say no to sin. If you keep trying to live up to some standards, read it in Galatians as well, you're going to fail. You're either going to become prideful because you're a good Christian or you're going to screw up because you're human. The trick is to know that God is with you regardless of how you're living. And in that presence of God, the fruit of the Spirit grows in Galatians. In, in the goodness of God is grace towards you. You don't even want to do anything wrong. If you love me, you'll obey my commands. It says behind me, doesn't it? That's not Jesus being manipulative as we might be with one another. If you really loved me, you would... No, that's Jesus saying, when you love me, when you know that I love you, you'll obey my commands without even trying because you'll be like me and we'll be family and we'll do it together. Really, really important. So Jesus made us a priority. You've got to believe he made you a priority. You're not one of the crowd. You are the guy or girl he desperately wanted a place for in heaven and he died for you. Cliche, it's amazingly true. You've got to believe it, not intellectually. You've got to experience it, and you will do that by stepping into that presence thing. What do you want me to do with you today? Don't do stuff for Jesus. Do it with him. He is with you, presence and priority. You've got to make one another a priority as well. The same way as he has made his people a priority, we've got to make his will our priority. We've got to make his people our priority. I'm really concerned with the poor. Uh, I love them. Uh, we had this 24-hour prayer. The only detraction from the whole 24 hours was that some of our homeless friends came, had a bit of food, had a bit of a conversation with us, and left. I left them at uh, 10 o'clock in the morning sitting on the bench outside. I, I spoke to them after the evening service, and they didn't get saved. And they're going to sleep on the streets. I love the poor. But as much as the Bible tells you to look to the poor, look after them, remember the poor, read Galatians again, remember the poor, remember the poor. Do good to all people but especially the house of believers. You've got to have regard for one another first of all. You've got to build a healthy family here. You've got to put one another first and you'll have the capacity then to care for the poor properly. You've got to love one another to an extreme. Jesus said, whoever leaves his father and mother for my sake, his children for my sake. It's horrible. I've just talked about presence. Jesus says, prioritize my people. You've got to commit to a life group. You've got to commit within this body of people. Philip can't love 100, 100, 200 of you, you guys but you can love 12 people. Jesus said, as, as I've loved you, love one another, and the whole world will know that you're my disciples. He meant love each other to an extreme, but he also meant gather in small groups. Love a small group of people really, 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 really well. Uh, uh, yeah, another little insight into the... He's got these 12 guys. 
He takes Peter and James and John aside often and prioritizes them within the 12. It's not me making it up. You go and read your Gospels. Anytime he takes three disciples and leaves the rest behind, it's Peter, James, and John. It's Jesus saying to you leaders, it's all right to prioritize the people of God. Prioritize your life group within the people of God. Prioritize two, three, four people within those people. And I'll explain to you how that works in promotion bit. But you've got to, again, God is with you. Who am I to prioritize? Be really specific about it. Got to pour our lives out. I have often said to people, it's true. Being married, having kids, being in church ministry, even being a good friend. They are, these are all things that my love of ease and comfort would make me run a mile from. They, they really are. They're the most painful, costly things you can do but they're the most rewarding things you can do as well. You pour your life out for other people, prioritize them, and God, man, he blesses you so much. Let's move on quickly to promotion. We need to respond to God in this as well. Promotion is just built into family life. It's, it's called, we call it succession. We die, and our kids take our place, and one generation passes and another rises. Jesus' plan is similar, but very, very, very radically different. And I, I want to just wrap up with this verse, really. This, this is something I've spoken to Philip about, um, I, I've lived with this verse for years because it's just an incredible promise. Very truly, I tell you, whoever believes in me will do the works I've been doing and they'll do even greater things than these because I'm going to the Father. It's often preached in the context of miracle and I believe that's true. Jesus did miracles. His 72 did miracles. The 12 did miracles. You even see the disciples doing miracles he never did. Peter and Paul, one of them, the shadow passes over sick people and they're healed. Another one is sending, I had a guy say to me, can you pray for my credit card? I'm going to touch it on my wife and see if she gets better. Because Paul's handkerchief was prayed over, taken to sick people, and it got better. It's in the Bible. These guys do greater works than Jesus. They discipled more people than Jesus. That's another context it's true in. Jesus discipled his 12, died and went to heaven. Peter, John, Paul, James didn't have much of a running because he got his head chopped off quite quickly. But they discipled people in far greater number than Jesus. They did the things he did, but even greater works. So I was living with that and saying, Lord, where are, where are the greater works today? And do you know, we're starting to see some of the miracles. I think in the last two years, I've seen more sickness healed by my own hands and by other people's hands than ever before. I've seen people who, a guy I met on the bus, crippled from a car accident four years ago, early 20s, came to a sleepover um, homeless event. He's not homeless, he, was he wanted to raise money. His girlfriend's singing there, told him Jesus can heal you. Prayed for him later on in the evening with a couple of other people in front of the deputy mayor and all sorts of people around, instantly healed. Incredible. Saw him a year later. He's fine. Three people in our uh, linked to our congregation. He's not a Christian still. That's the, like, what are you doing? I told you Jesus. He's like, thank you very much. <laughs> the grace of God. I even, I even said to him when he got healed, I said, you've got to know Jesus healed you. I told you on the bus it would be in the name of Jesus. You don't have to follow him because this is the gift of God. But you've got to follow him because he's healed you. He hasn't. Two other guys, uh, a husband of someone connected to their church, healed of terminal bowel cancer. Seven months of testing because they said it's impossible. Last, this is your last leg. They went on a cruise. She came back, preached on miracles. She emailed me two weeks later. We just had the oncologist say there's no cancer in him at all. Another year, seven months later, they finally gave him the all clear because they just said this is impossible. Test this test, that test. This test, everything, to, just to confound the word, the truth of God. No, he's healed. Another guy, some of you might even know him, but I, I won't. There's people, people are getting healed because we're starting to step out into this stuff. So don't, I'm saying that because I don't want you to miss that. That is very much a part of what Jesus is saying. You'll do the things I do. You'll disciple people. You'll see miracles. You'll preach and people will get saved. 
and he'll do even greater things than me. What I want to leave you with is the heart of Jesus in this statement. And this is what God has just opened up to me this year. The heart of Jesus in this statement is a heart of promotion. It's Jesus saying, guys, I've spent three years as your life group leader. I've led you well. Now I want you to lead people even better than I led, led you. And what, what we've been learning as a church, what I've been learning as an individual, is that God will trust you with great presence, great power, great riches, if your heart towards those around you is for them to be more successful in ministry than you, a better Christian, a better person than you. That's the heart of Jesus in this statement. It's the heart of a parent towards their child. These guys who came up with their babies, all the hopes of these parents are in these kids. Priorities change. Suddenly, when your kid is anxious or upset or rejected, man, the pain is a million times worse than when you felt it yourself. But your hopes for them are so much stronger than your hopes for yourself. God's message to leaders is to say to your people, keep calm, it's your turn now. Now, today. We're planting out into different places. This is a journey God's been taking us on. And I, I've been committed. I saw Peter, James and John. And for the last two years or so, I've been working this into how we do life groups and things like that. So I, I want to say to my leaders, who's your Peter, James and John? Even if men or women... And they know what I'm asking. Who are the two or three people you are pouring your life out for? But in these last few months, it's not, it's not just about leading them well and caring for them and praying for them. It's about giving them a step up and saying, you know what, you go and do more and be better than me. And I'm loving it. I sit there in church and there's my mate Lewis is leading the meeting who was saved four years ago. My friend Michael preaching this morning and every day who's in his 20s, he's going to go and plant Croydon in later this year. He's going to go and plant a new congregation and I'm, I'm, I'm leading him, but I'm looking at them thinking, God, I want you to be a better pastor than me. I mean it. I, it's, it's not me. It's what God has done. Guess how he's done it? Through me spending time with him, with the Father. Through me prioritizing his work, not mine. I look at Michael and I think, do you know what? I'm not threatened by Croydon. I want you to be bigger and more successful than I am in Kingston. I, in fact, I want to raise someone in Kingston to lead Kingston better than me. I'm talking leadership, but whoever you are, have that heart for the people around you. Have that heart. If you're leading worship, your primary job is to be with God, enjoy time with him, prioritize what he's telling you to do, and raise up worship leaders who are going to be better and more successful than you. Kids work the same. Life group the same. Sounds really radical. It's just kind of the gospel. <laughs> this is what's so amazing to me. That to not do that is death. Because then I become the omega of what I'm doing. The alpha and the omega. That's God's role. To not raise up people to go further than me stops. It puts limits on where the gospel's going. But Matthew 28, Jesus said, because I have all authority in heaven and earth, you don't need to vie for authority. You don't need to worry about obstacles getting out of the way. Go and make disciples of all nations. Now what does disciples mean in that context? It means people that you, John 14, 12, you say to them, Come and follow me as I follow Jesus. And very quickly, you go and do the things that you've seen me doing and do even greater things. And out of that, the kingdom of God explodes. And it's going to, trust me. Isaiah 9, of the increase of Jesus' government, the promise, this prophetic promise, Philip said hundreds of years before Jesus came, of the increase of his government, there'll be no end. It happens on earth through that process. And I'm telling you, we're rediscovering it. We, we've grown to expect small church, few miracles, few salvations. It's not the promise of the gospel. So I'm going to lay a challenge before you today. I'm going to wrap up 
We're going to respond to God in a moment. I prayed for years to, as a Christian, young Christian, said, Lord, I really want a father in the faith. And God said to me, you be a father. Paul writes this thing in one of his letters. So it gave you the preamble about him. He writes this thing. There are many teachers among you, but not many fathers. I'm your father. He writes to one of his young guys. You see this pattern, Peter, James, and John, a few, just two or three, invest in them, send them out, gather some more. Titus, Timothy. It's, it's not me making it up. It's there in the, in the gospel. It's the DNA of kingdom, the DNA of church family. Raise them up to go further. And he says, be a father. God said to me, be a father. I, I want to say to you this morning, be a father, be a mother to people around you. Expect the best for them. Believe God's best for them. But show them you believe in them as well. In this room, like Russian dolls, all of you who know Jesus, the potential in you is to lead tens and hundreds and thousands, some of you. Some of you individually to lead thousands to Christ. It's in the gospel. It's amazing. If you don't know Jesus, I, I want to ask you to, let me, let me just pray and just, just close our eyes together. Maybe if the band can come up, we can sing. Philip can lead us in a response as well. But if you don't know Jesus this morning, I, I don't want you to take my word for it. I don't, but I want to I challenge you. You can do, you can, this is an on-off, yes or no thing. I want to challenge you to reach out to God today yourself, even in these moments, and say, if you're really there, show yourself to me. The promise in Jeremiah 29 is that if you seek him with all your heart, you will find him. And I know people who've met him on the strength of that promise. If you, if you know him today, ask him what he's saying to you. What does this mean for you? Father, I, I am honestly the most blessed human. I feel like the most blessed human being on the face of the earth to call you Father. Lord, I want to pray for King's Church, Lord, that they become a people who truly know what it is to gather to the King of Kings every Sunday. I thank you for the good work you're doing here, for the leaders you've raised up. Father, I pray as I pray for my own church and for other churches, Lord, around the way, that we will enter a new, a new day, Lord, of knowing what it means to be your family, to be sons and daughters of the living God, sent as you're sent, not just in power and in the promise of fruitfulness upon us, Lord, but also intimately knowing you as well. And Father, I pray you now speak to every heart in this room and lead us to make the proper response to you. In Jesus' name, amen. Amen. Should we stand?